The four toolboxes of a master tech are tools, our knowledge, our communicator, and our mindset. In tools, it's tools of the trade. In knowledge, it's industry knowledge. In being an upper-level communicator, it's doing things like role-playing. It's doing things like training on, on, on upper-level upper communication. Finally, on mindset, it's having the mindset of, I can always learn just a little bit more. In order to produce a master craftsman, this is the areas of focus that you should stimulate. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you. And man, are we excited to invite a new guest on this week. Joe Person is joining us, the Joe Person from Go Time Training out of Texas. And we are excited to have him on to talk about the ultimate customer experience. But before that, let's break it down for you. Brian, let's hear a quote. Happy customers are your biggest advocates and can become your most successful sales team. Lisa Massiello. That's a, that's a great point because the, and it's something that I think everybody in retail or the customer service industry is ironically quick to forget. I've heard a long time ago that the average happy customer may tell one person, but the average unhappy customer will tell between seven and nine people. Oh, that was, that was like pre Google. Yeah. That's not even taking that. That's actual like referral stories. Like Person the only person. The only time I'll ever say this name on this podcast is just to talk trash about Yelp. Absolute garbage of a company. <laughs> trash. Yelp. And not fans of them are we. No, nor, nor <laughs> anyone else who sells anything or does anything for a living because it's set up to fail Yelp. Yeah, but um, that that survey, those surveys were done long before you had this internet marketing or internet reviewing systems. Hundreds to thousands to ten, tens of thousands of people might read a bad review, and who's really going out of their way to read a good review? Well, I I can tell you personally that when I review a product, I typically look at the top and the bottom. So I'll, I'll look at the five stars and scroll through them and kind of quickly review a couple of things. But I'm absolutely going to the bottom ones too to see what the poor experiences were. Yeah, I think I only go to the poor experiences. I just go for the one stars and see what's up. Look at you, a negative Nelly at heart. Well, you know, I just want to hear, I, I kind of actually kind of like, I want to gauge what type of people were giving it a one star review. I can just kind of read what they're saying and think, nah, nah, they're not like me. I think <laughs> I'll enjoy this product. Or, yeah, yeah, he or she is exactly like me. If they don't like it, I won't like it. And that's what makes it so powerful because it is the the voice of the anonymous, you might say. And so it's the collective voice. You know, it's one thing when you have somebody that you know tell you, hey, this company is bad or this service was awful or this food tasted poor. 
And you're going to take that for however you view that person. But when you see a thousand one-star reviews, 2,000 two-star reviews, um, you start to wonder, wow, can the majority really be wrong? And that's where things get scary. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I didn't mean, I mean, if you, if you go research a product or a company and it's 50-50, good versus bad, you're not going anywhere near that company right. or, or product. Average or rating, two and a half stars. Yeah, but if it's, you know, if it's us here, 4.9 star, just shy of 6,000 ratings. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, 4.9, I'm probably going to do business with you, especially with a lot of reviews. But I am absolutely going to look for those one-star ones and find out. Just You just want to know what was up. And I'll tell you, so we're uh, not as this airs, certainly, but, um, well, no, we'll be there when this airs. So tomorrow morning, family and family and I are going to Siesta Key, Florida, and we're staying at a VRBO house. And our, uh, just like we're talking about with the reviews, I looked through the reviews of houses that we wanted to rent for the week. And this one that we're renting had it was a 4.8 star, I believe. And it had a few negative reviews. But all of the negative, I think it was three, maybe four, they were all answered, like, immediately by the owner. And she seemed to be doing whatever she could to make it right, despite the fact that the people were already gone, the review was already written. It was always like, so sorry, Sandra, that you and your kids experienced, you know, a a lawn chair breaking in the yard. Um, Wish you had told me about this while you were here, and I could have made it right. Just so you know, replaced all the lawn furniture on the patio. It's all brand new. <laughs> nice. Like, seriously, there was actually something like that, you know, something roundabout way, something like that. Where I'm just like, cool. Not cool of Sandra or whoever to um, not give her the chance to fix that while they were there. But cool that she just hopped right on, apologized for, you know, something that was probably out of her control anyway. And then move forward to making it right. And And that, to me, was a lesson that I want to, um, have a meeting about with our staff here just to say, and you can't go into the conversation with the upset client um, out of feeling like they're going to beat you down or they're mad or they're at fault and, and we're not. You have to go into it like with empathy for one, thinking like, you know, in this case, this was somebody who was on vacation, regardless of whose fault that the whatever was. It messed up the vacation, and that's a time when you don't really want any mishaps. For us, it's when somebody could have a, a, a big issue. It's 88 degrees and humid outside, and they don't have any cooling overnight. Their house is 84 degrees and you know 80% humidity. If it's a mistake we made, then j- fall on that sword. Jump on, jump on the grenade. Own it. Be very apologetic empathetic and even if we're going to get a one-star review out of it and there's nothing we can do about it at least in our response we can make the next person know that like myself when I read all this lady's responses to negative reviews on her vacation home I knew that she's someone who's going to take care of it she can be all over that you look at the houses where they have like six or eight negative reviews out of hundreds of, of good reviews and I don't see a response to them like, there's no answer. Like, eh, I don't know. 
mean, you know, there's this is a dude who's just like changed the toilet flapper and it was two hundred bucks. Found out I could have bought it for forty. And then my uh second cousin's stepdad would have thrown it in and just charged me, you know, a six pack. It's like, okay, you can't win that argument. <laughs> right. But you can still respond on on the thing and say, hey, yeah, I apologize you didn't know that sooner. And, uh, you know, maybe not be as mean about it as I want to be, which is like, yeah, we could have both saved time because we didn't want to go change a flapper at your house <laughs> more than you wanted us to come and change a flapper at your house. But you just respond in, in a kind way and say, yeah, it's, it's too bad you didn't find that out sooner. Unfortunately, this is what it takes to get a licensed, you know, plumber in a fully stocked truck and warehouse on wheels and a bunch of people answer the phones when you call a Sunday night. That is actually one of the uh, fortunate or unfortunate responsibilities that I have here at our particular organization, Brian. I am the one that responds to our reputation concerns online. Yes, you are. And uh, let me tell you, there's been some times where I have had to rewrite uh, perhaps yeah. what I wanted to say. There are no letters on the uh on the keyboard button that is backspace on Nate's <laughs> computer. <laughs> That's exactly so right. He writes out a bunch of four letter words and Completely, then just backs it up, yep, backs it up, delete, backs it. delete, delete, delete. And it is tempting. I mean, it is tempting to just want to go full Monty on somebody and be like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, it was completely our fault that you signed off on the agreed upon price up front and that it was 9 PM on July 4th weekend. And uh, you couldn't get anybody else out. And we quoted everything to you up front. Yeah, you're right. That is our fault. We're sorry. And be all kind of passive aggressive on it. Yeah, do it, buddy. You know, Wendy started doing that in, on their Twitter account. And everybody loved it. Somebody would just talk smack about Wendy's. And they would tweet tweet back, you know, clap back, as they call it. And uh, yeah, the press ate it up. I would think it's funny. Every now and then, Nate gets passive aggressive, but not with the client. He'll send it to me. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with this? And then, and it's like, uh, electrician, sorry guys, electrician threw a cigarette on my lawn and, uh, I asked if he was going to pick it up and he flipped me off and then flipped off the neighbor, you know, of course it's not that severe, but (laughs) (laughs) something like that. And he'll send it to me like, all right, what am I doing with this? Like, it's your job, bro. I don't know what you want me to do. (laughs) Right. Response. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate that. Did you need me to get the fire department out? (laughs) Put your lawn out. If you would have had a butt signature, you know, one of those butt cans on your lawn, we wouldn't have thrown it there. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. That's not Uh, what we recommend at all. Uh, But in terms of the home service professional or really any of the service industry, no matter what uh, trade or industry you are in, uh, you need to walk away from those types of responses and you need to be the bigger person and take the higher road. But to Brian's point, the response itself versus no response at all speaks volumes. I don't think any client expects any company to be 100% perfect. I don't think any homeowner expects any plumber, electrician, or technician to be 100% perfect. What they want is they want the problem to be resolved, ideally the first time, but if and when that doesn't happen, They just want to know that it's going to be resolved and to their benefit. It's not always about like, Hey, I expect perfection, right? If you do good luck, man, uh, I I feel bad for you, but it is about the follow through of taking care of whatever does go wrong. If something doesn't happen to be perfect the first time, 
And the response that you give online or the response that you give uh, when you go out for that warranty callback or that, you know, something went wrong, callback, those types of things needs to very much be one of servanthood and one of uh, very sorry this happened to you. Let's fix this for you. And I can tell you personally that if you go online and, and you look at products and you see or services and you see that there is a response, like Brian was talking about with that vacation home, it makes a difference. I think it does for all of us because while it, it, it speaks to the fact that, you know, something went wrong, it also speaks to the fact that the owner, the, the service provider, the company, whoever it is, tried to make it right or made attempts to at least reach out and attempt to make it right. And that makes a big difference because it gives you that confidence as a consumer that even if something would go wrong, this company is active, they're paying attention, and they are trying to do the right thing. Now let's take that down to the truck level for all of you in the, in the driver's seat right now listening to this. Is that how you treat your client? We really have a, a big view um, that we desire to perpetuate throughout our entire organization that each truck is its own mini company. And that means that it's, it's not about ranking our company, the plumbing company at large. It's about ranking me, Nate Minnick, you, Brian Burton. It's about ranking that person. And if you go through our reviews, you will see not so much about our company, you know, Benjamin Franklin, this, that, and whatever. And you'll see that. But often you'll see names. You'll see, hey, Joe took care of me. Frank was awesome. Jane did a fantastic job. Because they're reviewing that person and that person's mini company, their own personal truck, their own personal truck company uh, within the bigger umbrella. And that makes a difference because one, it makes it very personal. And it's, it's a lot harder to write a negative review when you're speaking to somebody personally than it is when you're speaking to some, uh, you know, big bad company out there that nobody actually works for. It takes a lot of guts to actually say, Brian Burton totally, you know, botched up my home and flooded my house and he's a terrible person. And so asking for that on a personal level tends to create better results and a lot more satisfaction in terms of your actual performance and the reviews that you'll see. It means something. And we, and we put this up on TVs around our office. We send this out in text groups and emails and all kinds of things. When reviews come through, it means something to see your name listed right there. Nate Minnick took great care of me. He's one of the best. Would recommend him to anybody. That means a whole lot more than, you know, Mr. Sparky is a great company because I'm there. You're there. I noticed Brian Burton flooded the house and was the worst person ever. And Nate Minnick was the best person ever. Well, I think you could even a plumber like you could draw the line that I'm not an electrician. So both of those were or fake. Oh, okay. I Maybe gotcha. you didn't put that together. Yeah. Uh -uh. There you go. I was, I was stuck on me actually providing poor service. Right. Couldn't get over that, that one. Never, never happened. Never happened. <laughs> well, poor service or good service is what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to invite Joe Person to sit in your passenger seat right now. Our guest today is Joe Person. He is a natural when it comes to sales training, problem solving, and inspiring others to be the best version of themselves possible. Some of it is in his blood. His family has been thriving in the jewelry, coin, and antique business for over 50 years in St. Petersburg, Florida, and he spent his childhood watching his father and grandfather work the business. As a jack of many trades, Joe has owned a mortgage company, a national personal training company, managed a large telemarketing firm, and even has a licensed real estate agent. He jumped into the HVAC business back in 2012 in Florida, 
where he was born and raised. Joe started as a maintenance tech and quickly moved into sales, then management. The common denominator has always been his love for helping people, his strong customer service and leadership skills, and his knack for being a great listener, leader, and problem solver. He's married to his bride, Stephanie, and they've been together since they were 18. They have four children, and now he serves as a trainer for GoTime Success Group based out of Texas, which is a fantastic organization that we've sent some of our people to. With no further ado, let's welcome Joe to the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. It's good to talk to you again. Actually, we've we spoke before when uh, deciding deciding whether to do the episode or not, or deciding what we were going to do an episode about. And I am a presenter slash presentation trainer myself. So for me, it's like, you know, there have been some presentation trainers where you, where you speak to them and they're like really you do that for a living congratulations you know um (laughs) so i want to get out like the pre-call for me which we don't usually do for episodes on people that we've never actually heard or seen is more of a it's more of a uh vetting process where i'm like how ready do i need to be to do most of the speaking (laughs) on this episode and uh, it was like a 20 minute conversation where nate spoke six words and i spoke for four minutes and joe took the rest and i'm like this is gonna be a good episode (laughs) i'm about to say don't 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 make me start talking because you guys will have to shut me up (laughs) i with the press of a button i can make that happen don't worry about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah true you got mute (laughs) yeah so you are you are a presentation communication trainer for GoTime University. Is that what it's called? Or GoTime uh, Success Group? Yes, uh, but good good point. GoTime has a university. Uh, we have some online training that we do in our university. But yes, to answer your question, um, I am a sales communication trainer for GoTime Success Group. Awesome. Okay. And we just had, we actually just had two of our install apprentices at go time university for their install class which uh we got very good feedback on from mr daryl uh, yeah yeah man my man daryl Otto. I, I love that guy i would love to hear more uh if i don't take too much away from from what you guys are trying to get to right now give me give me some dirt how the guys like the class um you know i should have had a text ready to go where i could could have uh read the feedback that we got from one of them via text like day five i think while he was there but it was basically we need to get all of our uh install helpers (laughs) helpers here immediately to be trained up and be ready for the summer so we have oh fantastic man we're weighing up well i guess as this episode's air episode airs this decision will be behind us but right now we're weighing sending two or three people to the uh next class so yeah so Daryl and I are texting back and forth uh, as of this morning and trying to get that squared away. But yeah, we had uh, David Daffin, who is a uh, owner operator in Texas, a good friend of the show and friend of mine. And he told us he was a few, what's that? I said he's a friend of mine too. Oh, I've, cool! All I've right, had, you know him as well. Yeah. Well, I've had the privilege of of training uh, his technicians for the last year. Uh, we did some sales and some communication training uh, with uh, with his technicians and his sales staff. But, man, uh, what a fantastic company down there in Granbury, Texas. Um, I've had the privilege of even doing an on-site down there, jumping in the truck with his team 
um, really there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of companies out there to do it better than that, man. Yeah. And he's a, he's such a good stand up guy as well. I got to hang out, meet and hang out with him in Hawaii, um, in October and and both of our wives were there and we got to just, you know, relax. There was no, there was no business to handle or anything, just drinks and good food and, and an ocean behind us. So it was a good time to connect with him. And I'm, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely like to go see your guys' organization and go see his and do some, spend some time in Texas. Yeah, man. Uh, it's a, it's a fantastic organization. Um, I'm, I'm, I feel privileged to ever have an opportunity to work with a company like that. Cause well, just the fact that they do so well and then they, you know, extend their hand for help, you know, says something about their leadership and their culture of training to begin with. So yeah, David's a fantastic person, the whole team. I appreciate the entire team, Tracy, Cody, you know, everybody there. Um, they're, they're really honestly one of my favorite companies out there. Awesome, Joe. Well, we're looking to talk to you specifically about getting some sales training. And uh, I understand that's your expertise and you have kind of your own proven process. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, uh, you know, over my lifetime, my past, uh, I have, I've done a lot of sales. Uh, I've worked inside of a lot of organizations, own my own companies, uh, really kind of have uh, just my entire background riddled with, with sales, communication, customer service. And, you know, I've taken many levels of professional training, uh, taken the John Maxwell stuff. You know, I've done all, you know, always applied myself in my careers in my past, but always been open-minded to learn as well. And, you know, taking bits and pieces of my entire life. I'm now, you know, middle 40-year-old guy, a uh, bunch of kids. Uh, I've, I've made enough mistakes in the house and in the field to, to figure some things out. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I kind of, you know, took the, the, the go time care process, the connection, the assessment, the recommendations and execution, uh, the stuff that, that, that Ben and Chris had already kind of had ironed out even in the book. But, uh, I, I, I kind of took and added some things inside of, of, of that, you know, uh, principle based process that, really just kind of hone in on, on creating that, that ultimate customer experience. You know, when, when we focus on experience, it seems like, uh, you get a lot more yeses than you do no's. So, uh, I'm open to, to, to talk about the process or, or really where, wherever the conversation goes there for that. And we are looking forward to that as well. And before we jump into it, Joe, um, how exactly did you get all, uh, all, where you are now? How exactly did you get into this career and what were you doing beforehand? Awesome. Well, good, good question, I guess. Um, I could take you back to about 2011. Uh, I had a fitness company out West here, uh, that had, you know, multiple locations in, in, in many States. And, uh, I kind of sold my, my, my portion of it back to one of my investors, uh, moved back to Tampa, St. Pete, Florida, where I'm born and raised. And, you know, I had a buddy that was working in HVAC, he had gone to trade school, um, you know, phenomenal technician. He owns his own company down there now in, in Tampa. Uh, Professor Cool, his name is Daniel Sype, uh, one of my lifelong friends. Anyway, he was a comfort advisor or a selling tech at the time. And uh, I jumped in the truck and rode with him. And, you know, watching the, the communication aspects of it, watching the way that, you know, he was with the customer, how much fun he was having in the house. Um, and I became really attracted to it. Um, you know, it, it probably helped, uh, that he was, you know, he was peeling back some really good paychecks and, you know, the, the paychecks weren't my interest. What my interest was were the margin, <clears throat> you know, who, who could afford to pay him this much money? 
um, that, that was really where the attraction came in because I understand business and I know it. So seeing that he was able to make that kind of money and, you know, run a truck and, and, and do this for another company, I, I really kind of told myself, wow, there's a, there, there's really something here to, to connect to in the trades. Uh, ended up going to trade school myself and becoming a maintenance technician and then uh, a, a service technician. I, <laughs> I didn't last that long as a mechanic. I'm probably not the best mechanic ever, but you can say I'm a mechanic with my mouth uh, because that's, that's kind of my, my strong suit. It's always been, you know, just put put me in the house and, and, and the rest is, is, you know, is history. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's kind of how I got to, to, to where I'm at. You know, um, I ran calls, lots of them, uh, you know, put a lot of processes into place, did a lot of training, figured out what worked best for me, got into management, got into leadership. Um, I've worked for other training organizations out there as well um, that are in the trades. And uh, yeah, around uh, into 2018, uh, Chris Hunter, who I'd been connected with uh, through Service Nation Alliance, um, I first met him all the way back, I think 2016 or so, uh, 2017, uh, at one of the Service Nation events. And, um, you know, we ended up connecting and, and, you know, I let him know, hey, my schedule's going to open up and, I'm thinking about getting, you know, into coaching and training and go time was for me. That's kind of where I, how I got to where I'm at. Sounds like you have a, a vast pedigree there. And and you mentioned a book. Uh, what book did you say that you contributed to? Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't contribute to it. Uh, some of the, the, the process that some of the sales process that I teach came from this book. And this book is uh, Ben Stark and Chris Hunter. Uh, it's called It's Go Time. And it's basically uh, insights and strategies for uh, home service-based companies uh, process. And, you know, a lot of questions get answered. It's fun. It's interactive. The chapters are fun. It's bright. It's vibrant. It's color. It's really neat. All right. Well, let's jump into it, Joe. And I think we're talking about running the ultimate, uh, the ultimate call. Let's, let's start with that. Where, where exactly are we beginning? The ultimate customer experience. Um, I think we can all collectively agree that the phone, the phone, uh, the sales process starts when that phone rings, right? Absolutely. That's what we teach here. Yeah. So, so what are we doing, um, you know, at our companies to pad, uh, the, 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 the mindset, the, the comfort advisor or the selling technician, you know, there's a big difference. I say, and I teach this a lot when I'm on with, 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 with companies, but there's a big difference in dispatching a selling tech or a comfort advisor on a lead that sounds like this. Estimate to replace due Tuesday at 2.30. Big difference between that and this. Estimate to replace both decision makers will be present. Customer is interested in financing, willing to move forward as soon as possible. Um, you know, due Tuesday at 2.30, right? Which right. one would you rather? Yes, absolutely. The uh, second one. Yeah, right. So there's a lot that goes into, um, I guess, you know, kind of building uh, the, the, the pre-stages of this experience because we all realize that the sales process kind of starts when that, when that phone rings. <clears throat> it's super important that we, we don't just pad the customer experience, but that we also pad the technician and or uh, the selling technician or the comfort advisor to have the right mindset when they show up on these calls. Because if it's just another market lead, and it's just another day, it's just another, you know, call that we're running <clears throat> by giving them limited information and that type of stuff that 
sometimes can be the mindset that we create is a basic mindset. When we fluff it with all those details, they, the first thing that the technician thinks of is, man, this, this company has my back, right? This company has my back. So they're, they're willing to, you know, uh, I guess commit just a little bit differently to this customer experience, which in turn means that they're going to hear yes very, very more frequently than hearing no. So in my sales class, um, I actually cover a, a process. Um, I've got a what I call a CSR cheat sheet. And that cheat sheet runs down some of the things that you're supposed to do. Uh, how are we supposed to talk to these customers in a sales call scenario? <clears throat> what kind of things should we be talking about? How should we stand out from our competitors? And that's, uh, that's just something I do in the very pre-stages of, uh, you know, of my sales class, making sure that the setup is on point. Right. Absolutely. And that's critical because, uh, as our, our good, uh, the great author that we study here quite frequently, Stephen Covey says, what normally begins well, normally ends well. Right. Well, I like that, Joe. And uh, we, we're absolutely big fans of having a great setup and a great transfer or a handoff, if you will, uh, from the customer service representative to dispatch and from dispatch to the technician, the plumber, the electrician heading out to the home. So assuming right. that that has happened and we have some decent notes and some good uh, momentum to go off of, where do we go next? How does the technician begin getting in the right mindset for that ultimate customer service experience? Yeah, so in my sales class, it's something that I really feel strongly about is making sure that the mindset's right. So sometimes I give the analogy of, you know, hey, remember the old Nintendo? You know, we could we could pull that cartridge out. We could <laughs> kind of blow it off and <laughs> love put that. it back and hit reset, right? Uh, I really like to kind of hit reset with, with the technicians that I work with. Um, so we talk about beliefs and limiting beliefs and we talk about how, um, you know, in the class, how a lot of these, these, these thoughts that we carry with us, sometimes even from, from way on, way early on our childhood, right. Um, they, they have an impact actually on how we feel when we walk in the house. And I'll just give you a basic example and hopefully I don't ruffle any feathers here, but you know, you pull into the house and there, there there's a Biden flag or, there, or there's a Trump flag or there's just whatever, right. There's a different core belief structure in some of our customers than there is in some of our technicians. And one of the things I'm really strong on is just teaching that that shouldn't matter. What should matter, though, is the, is the customer experience. Because at the end of the day, we're all looking to progress in our companies, to make money for our companies, to make money for our families. And the, and, and the color of that money is green. And no matter what, what, what opinions that we have, we have to be willing to set that stuff aside. So we do a mindset exercise where we write down a lot of limiting beliefs that might be holding us back that might be making us feel like essentially we're stuck in the mud and those limiting beliefs, we write them down. We share them as a group. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's not, but we share them as a group and then we step outside and we burn them off. We literally take them and put them in a metal trash can. We light them on fire and we burn them. Nice. And that is uh, like a ceremonial style uh, weigh in on uh, creating and developing a new mindset. And then from there, you know, I've got, you know, basic steps to, you know, producing or creating new mindset, you know, got to have that burning desire, you know, got to find your yes, don't negotiate with your dreams, you know, that, that type of stuff. Um, but that sets the stage, right, for, okay, now I've got this, this, this you know, brand new uh, uh, person, right? They can maybe view things a little bit differently now. We've, we've, we've admitted to some of our limiting beliefs now. We, we've challenged ourselves to push reset. So now we push reset. Beautiful. 
Now we start talking about process. So in our care process, in my full throttle HVAC sales class, we teach that we care more about the customer experience. Connection is the C in care. Assessment is the A. Recommendations is the R. E is execution. In connection, which is step one, we talk about the arrival, right? It's very important that we are arriving uh, properly to to these calls. Part of, of that is number one, making sure the mindset is on is on you know, on cue, and then number two, making sure that we address the things that we know customers need, like in home services, right? They fear who we are. They fear who who the company is going to be sending out, right? Because we, they, all these companies have been on the news, you know, in the last several years for, you know, if you're an air conditioning company, you pulled the disconnect and you've said it's a failed compressor, right? So that makes it to, to, to Channel 12 News. And, you know, next thing you know, there's a stigma across the industry that, hey, these technicians are going to show up and they're going to rip people off, right? Do you, so, have, you again, found that, have you found that to be across the nation that that's, that's the case? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the news does a really good job at kind of pegging uh, the technician to be kind of, you know, this person that's supposed to show up with the with, with their booty crack hanging out and flicking a cigarette butt up into your driveway and, you know, coming inside and being dishonest. And, you know, you and I both know that that's probably the furthest thing from the truth than possible, right? These guys that, that are out there running these calls, these are the best fathers, the best husbands, the best friends, the best people, the best wives uh, out there. These, these guys are, you know, they're, they're like me. They're like you. They're, they're awesome. And I hate that they have that, that stigma attached to, to, to technicians, right? It, it really actually frustrates me. So because we know that that exists, we have to overcome that in an expectation. So what that looks like in our arrival is we structure uh, this next step, right? You kind of said, how, what are your steps? This next step for me would be, right, how we're arriving. We, we do a, we challenge our students to do, to structure a value statement for their company. And that value statement truly overcomes some of the most common fears that these customers have when we arrive on calls. Another fear they have is where are you going? What are you doing when you get here? What's the plan, right? They want to know that you have a plan. So not only do they fear who you are and kind of you know, your, your credibility for, for lack of better words, but they also fear kind of what you're supposed to be doing there that day. Like, are you going to be sniffing my underwear drawer or are you going to be like, where are you walking in and out of that door? Are you going to let my German shepherd out of that back bedroom? Like the last guy. And then he gets out the front door and gets hit by a car. Like these are things they think about. Right. So we have to kind of disarm some of these anxieties, some of these fears that, con- that, that customers have over a, 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 a contractor. So when we arrive, we have what we call a value statement and they address these things. The final thing and the final clue to a value statement is how they're supposed to pay for it, right? Because we all know that some customers uh, have a little bit of anxiety towards the payment part, portion of it. Do you accept financing? Can I write a check? Am I paying with cash? Do you accept credit cards? Can I pay with my diner's club? I mean, there's so many options, right? And then to back it up, there's even a lot of customers out there that have had somebody from in-home services in their house before, maybe a, a plumber or an electrician. And, you know, next thing you know, we're, we're, we're two hours deep into a repair 
they're finally done and they go to leave and we go to hand them our credit card and they say, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't, we don't pay credit cards. Right. And then here we go. So that in by itself kind of develops this, again, this, this, the stigma of, okay, like I'm going to worry about it, but I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm not going to call the company and say, Hey, the guy you're sending out today, is he safe? You know, do you guys drug test and background check your technicians? They're not going to ask that, but instead they're going to think that and they're going to hope that. So again, in line with producing that ultimate customer experience, it's one of the first things that you have to do is over deliver on those expectations. So again, we structure that value statement. So when we arrive, we can address these things up front and then we can almost set the customer's mind at ease. Now they know there's a plan. Now we've, we've, we've kind of answered some of the unspoken questions. Now we can move on. We can progress into either a service call scenario or, in, in, in my land, a, a sales call scenario. And then we, we, we go into the next step, right, which is the second letter of the care process, the assessment. And in the assessment, we teach uh, our, our folks, our, our, our guys, our students, to evaluate the customer through questions. Uh, what kind of questions are you asking? You know, there, there's a lot there. Um, some guys go out on sales calls and they show up and they wing it, right? They've got their estimate templates and their, and their, and their uh, software that they use and they produce, you know, an estimate or two and they, 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 they talk to the customer a little bit. They hope for the best and, and that's about it but they miss that golden opportunity to ask qualifying questions, if you will. But the thing about qualifying questions is there's a lot more to them than just what meets the eye. And I I don't want to give away the fort, but I'll give you a couple of different examples. All right. So I'll just ask you this question too. At your company right now, do you guys have selling techs or comfort advisors? Both. Okay. The comfort advisors, when they go out and run the call, do they have a consistent list of questions that they ask the customer? I think it would be respective to each person who's doing them. But yes, they, they would have process-driven uh, application of their appointments. Okay. So in these questions, I'm going to bring up just like a couple of very basic... Uh, I, I get to see these, uh, what you call maybe a comfort survey. I get to see these comfort surveys from companies all over the nation, right? So over time, I've kind of put together or I've stockpiled like the most common questions I see and the ones that have the most impact into one sheet, right? And that's the sheet that I use in, in training. It's, it's our go time comfort survey. And this is just, again, this is just an example. But if I were to ask you, the very first question on this comfort survey is how many years have you lived in this home? If I were to ask you that question, what would you think that my point was? What am I trying to extract or get out of the customer when I ask a question like, how many years have you lived in this home? Oh, from one angle, you I would assume you're probably trying to get a little bit of information regarding the age of the equipment or how long I have been dealing with the equipment. And if I have had any type of uh, concerns or symptoms that I've been experiencing over time in, while living there. So basically what you're saying is you're trying to see how aware the customer is, right? Aware of their house, aware of what's going on, just kind of how aware they are, right? Is that kind of what I'm gathering? Yeah, and I, I would, if I was a customer, I think you would probably use some of that information to better assess my equipment because that's, that's why I think you're here. 
Okay. So what I actually teach is what that question actually means. And what we're actually trying to identify with that question, look, while we're there, a lot of what you're saying right now, it's going to come out, right? We're, we're going to get to those kind of things, that type of awareness. As we continue to ask questions, we're going to start to really understand how aware this customer is. But a question that says, how many years have you lived in this home? It really just identifies sticker shock. And here's what I mean by that. You know what sticker shock is? How surprised, the element of surprise at the end of the sale, right? Oh, I wasn't expecting this price. Whoa, right? That's sticker shock, okay? So here's what I mean. Here's what, here's what that question is asked for, and here's what it identifies. We, we ask that question to, to understand and, and know if this customer is going to have sticker shock because if they say, and, and, and again, this is just an example, but if they say, hey, I've been in the house two years, most people write down the, the number two and they move on to the next question, which is how old is the furnace or AC, right? Or how old is the system or how old is the water heater? But you miss the opportunity to expose a little bit more. What we're trying to do is evaluate through questions and understand how somebody makes buying decisions. The ultimate plan here is to overcome objections before they become verbal, before they become a problem at the end of a sale. You know, when we get to the end, if the price is too high or if they're sticker shock, we should have done a better job at exposing these, these, these things before it becomes a problem. So here's the idea. Instead of writing down the number two and moving on, we have to elaborate on a question like that. And here's what we can do. Oh, you've been in the house two years? Oh, okay. So were you guys first-time home buyers, or have you bought a house before? Oh, this is our first house? Oh, Okay. So you've probably never done anything like bought a roof or, or done like, you know, siding or, or maybe insulation or, hey, maybe even replaced an HVAC system. Oh, no, no, we've never done anything like that. Okay. In our mind now, who is going to probably have sticker shock when we get to the end? Somebody that has zero experience with this. Now let's look at the opposite side of the spectrum. Now I've got the person that says, oh, yeah, we've been in the house 18 years. Oh, 18 years. Okay. So you guys have probably done something like a roof or a water heater or maybe, you know, siding or insulation. Oh, honey, yes. If, 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 if you can replace it on this house, we've replaced everything. Uh, so you tell me, who do you think now is going to have more, more high levels of anxiety toward the price when we get to the end? So what we're trying to do is evaluate through these questions and these questions on a comfort survey or the assessment, which is step two in the care process, they really just expose how this person makes buying decisions. We have to start to understand how they make buying decisions. If we do, a lot of times there's no surprise when we get to the end. And that's really our job as an upper level communicator is to make sure that there's no levels of surprise at the end. Let me give you another, uh, another example of a question that would be on a comfort survey and then kind of tell you the truth behind uh, what we're asking. How about the next question? Uh, number two on this one that I that I use in my training is, do you know how old the equipment is, right? How old is the furnace or AC? What am I getting to when I ask this? What do you think, what do you think I'm trying to address when I ask, how old is the furnace or AC? So if I was a homeowner, I would probably relate that to my car somehow um, that we're going to have a conversation about, hey, as your car gets older, you know, expect more repairs and more expensive repairs. Okay. So, again, right, 
we, we may be a little bit out of alignment with what these questions, you know, really are. So how old is the furnace or AC actually exposes a decision maker? And here's what I mean by that. Let's just say hypothetical scenario. We're in the house with a husband, a spouse, a husband, a male. And the, the, the husband says, oh, I have no idea, man. You'd have to ask my wife. All right. All right. I'm, I'm tracking with you on there. That makes sense. Yeah. So now we get a few more questions down and it says, hey, is there anybody else that needs to be involved in this process? Right. Anybody else need to be involved in helping you choose your home comfort system? And the guy says no. But then we go just a few more questions down and we ask something like, okay, and uh, what do you keep your thermostat set out in the, in the summer months? What do you keep your thermostat set at in the winter months? And they say, oh, man, I, got, I, I, I don't touch the thermostat. I got no idea. You'd have to talk to my wife. Right? They said they were an ultimate decision maker, but is that really the case? Right. Right? So – we ask these types of questions. Can you reset that? We ask these types of questions because it, it allows us to truly understand how this customer makes buying decisions. We can challenge them when we get to that question where we say, does anybody else need to be involved in this process? They say no. We say, are you sure about that, man? Because the last couple of questions I've asked you, you seemed like you really needed to lean on your, on your spouse for the answer. And then you usually can extract that, right? Well, man, she's She's definitely going to be, you know, a big part of the decision. Well, okay, now we're actually talking. Now we're communicating. Before, we weren't communicating. We were just kind of going back and forth, right? Now we're getting somewhere. And the rest of these questions all, you know, I'm not going to say have a hidden agenda, but there's more there. There's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Most guys miss it. Most technicians, most uh, trade people, they miss these questions because they take them at face value. So in my class, I explain that it's a lot more important to analyze these questions for truly what they are, get the actual meaning behind them, and then understand your customer a lot better when you dive into, uh, you know, the answers. Because it's not really about the questions that we ask. What we're really trying to identify is the way that they answer the question, which unlocks uh, true buying potential. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. And it's clever because it's, uh, it, you know, you're, you're sort of like sleuthing, right? You're, you're uncovering bits and pieces of information that the, uh, the common technician would not. Right. And that's, that's something that has to be taught. It's something that has to be trained on. Right. Yeah. I love it. Good stuff. Okay. So, uh, we've covered C and A. Is there anything left with A or shall we move on to R? Um, just remember in A, right. The assessment. Uh, in, in most cases, it's not just the assessment of the equipment. And I think that's the biggest thing that happens when we get out there is the customer, we, 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 we treat it like we're just going to get some measurements so we can come back and put the right equipment in. And what we totally forget is the assessment of the person. Don't forget to assess these customers and how they make buying decisions. We have to take their measurements too. And that's really the biggest thing I want you to take away from assessment is it's not just about assessing the equipment. It's also about assessing the customer and understanding how they make buying decisions. All right. Uh, let's, let's go with R. What, what does the R stand for? Yeah. Up is uh, recommendations, right? So in, in recommendations, you know, we have kind of um, a way that we present, a way that we, you know, that, that we like to uh, produce options. On the sales side, it's a little bit different than the service side. We just like to make sure on the sales side that there is several options. 
and again, I don't really want to want to want to give away the whole fort here, but I've got a seven step process that I use for um, for for making these recommendations. But let me start by saying, none of these recommendations should ever be made without permission to address problems. So what we do is we have this assessment, right? We get up from the assessment, we go assess the equipment, we get our measurements. As a technician, we're taught that we go look for findings, right? What, what, what's going on? What are some more things that we can benefit the customer experience with? You know, what can we talk about? So we go back to the customer most of the time with an offer, not with findings. We go back with an offer. And that offer is, hey, here's the problems I found. And my first option is going to take care of all of them. Bang. And we hit them with it. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What if we, we retrain these guys to do this instead? What if we go back and we get the customer and we say, hey, based on those questions that I asked you earlier, I identified some things that were really important to you. Now, I've addressed some of these things that we talked about. Remember when you talked about the airflow over your daughter's bedroom? Hey, you said she was uncomfortable in the summer and now also a little bit, you know, chilly down there in the winter, right? Well, here's what I found. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is this something that you want me to add to the quote today? And the customer says, oh, man, if you can, if, dude, if you can fix that, you'd be my hero. Right. Well, guess what, just, guess what we just got? We just got permission. So now it becomes their idea. And it's like, dude, this is not rocket science. It, 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 it's just upper level communication. So now we've been given permission to address larger problems. So now there's no surprises when we get to the end. Now you've almost just been given permission to be the most expensive price that they see. Because when they see the price, there's not going to be the element of, of surprise. And if there is, you didn't do your job good enough. And that's really what we get to. So inside of, again, that seven-step process, um, we teach to go get the findings first, gain permission to address. And then once we're given permission, it becomes the customer's idea, we move on. Well, in moving on, uh, we go build our proposal now, right? We've been given permission to address larger problems. We've identified all the problems. Now it's time to sit down and talk about the solution. So in the solution, I have a whole other way that I approach uh, the solution. <laughs> because I feel like before, you know, we did this really good job from the time the phone rang. And... You know, the incoming call came in, we, we were padded with all these questions, and we asked all these identifying questions, we talked about financing, you know, we really overcame a lot of, of the panic and the fear and the anxiety that the customer feels. And now we're, we're a half hour or 90 minutes into, or 60 minutes into this call. So we're about to hit them with pricing. We're about to have this big conversation, this big discussion on money. And I'm sure that you would agree with me that this is pretty emotional for a lot of our customers. It's a pretty emotional time. Usually it's, it's 10, it's 15, it's 20, it's $25,000. It's not, it's not buying a gumball, right? This is a lot of money. It's a big, it's a big journey that you're taking the customer on. So I'll tell you in Hollywood, they have what's called a climax in our movies. We watch a movie and a, and it's got a climax, right? And really, by definition, a climax is really just kind of the point that is the end at the end of a movie where kind of everything draws together to a close. Well, think about that for a sales process and think of what I just said in that definition. A point in a movie, usually toward the end where everything comes together to a close. Guys, isn't the sales process kind of a movie? 
we, we go out and we have a process and we follow it time and time and time again, we almost become desensitized to it. So when we get to the end now, we have to, to adopt a strategy of having a climax in our sales process. And that's what I teach. I teach these guys to go back, get the customer, re-educate them on all the reasons that they're about to do business with us. Re-evaluate the scenario. Don't just go hit them with pricing. That's not fair. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to your company. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to go grab that customer and bring them up through an emotional high, an emotional swing, because we're about to hit them with the most emotional part of this process, the money. So why not right before the money should we pad this just a little bit more, uh, pad this experience just a little bit more, offer a little bit more than our competitor? And what that could look like um, you know, could be an example of a good climax, right? So, hey, Mr. Customer, I told you earlier that our company had, you know, over, we've been in business over 20 years. You know, I mentioned we're very process driven. Um, everything that we do, we aim to please. That's why all of our warranties and our guarantees are in writing to back up your decision today. Now, one of the biggest reasons I said yes to come work for this company is because I know at the end of the day that they like to put the customer experience ahead of every, everything else, right? It's quality. They care more about the outcome than any other company that I've ever seen. And to be really honest with you, it makes me feel good when I wake up every day and know that I'm working for a contractor that feels as good about the end result as I do. So here's the, here's the deal, guys. I put together four options for you today for your approval, okay? My first option is my highest. It's my best. And it's certainly the one that I recommend. And then we go into more of a process, which is how, how to present and, and continue that level of quality in your presentation. So I'm, I'm very keen on making sure that you have that level of communication with the customer because if you don't, you're, you're selling yourself and your company and your family short. Right. I, I think that's, that's excellent. And the, the process piece is something that we've harped on here or talked about many times. Uh, in fact, we just, uh, we just did an episode not too long ago about process-driven growth because that's something that, will take you to that next level. I mean, you talked about winging it and you're going to get, you get winged results, right? I mean, so having that that entire thing kind of laid out, mapped out for you, not that it's word for word, not that it's a script that you're reading from, right? Yeah. Make sure I elaborate on that, right? Go time is what's considered principle driven. We're a principle based training company. In other words, you could take a lot of things that we do and be ultra successful with it just by adding it to what you currently do. It doesn't mean you have to reprogram and change everything. When it comes to things like mindset, yeah, I want to reprogram your mindset. I want you to think positive. I want you to, to have a forward-thinking mindset that, that feels, I deserve this. I, I should have this. I can picture myself closing this sale. And if you really can adopt that nature and be that positive, usually that's the outcome. Because it, the customer can tell, right? The customer can tell when we lack confidence. They can tell when we have a bad day. They can tell when we're fighting with our spouse. All these things, right? They can tell. So if we're wearing it on our sleeve like that, hey, man, we, we, we might as well invest in ourselves and create the best experience we can because it's worth it. I feel like just adopting a process in general would make 80% of technicians no, hey man, more successful. Adopting my process. Love it. Well, it's it's it's, uh, and I'm sure your process is is fantastic. 
I'm I'm just saying I I believe even with a lot of presentation training that many techs have had. No, you're right. You could grab most technicians' uh, passenger door, pop it open, have a seat in that passenger seat, ride with them after years of of consistent training. And I don't think most most technicians in in their trucks use a process. And uh, it was Weldon Long was on here and said, uh, Weldon cons- Long is. He said, consistent actions produce consistent results. Inconsistent actions produce inconsistent results. And you can see the uh, pinball machine of paychecks of technicians who are on some kind of incentive-based pay structure. Just one paycheck is up here, one's down here, one's up here, one's down here. Yeah. It's like it's completely inconsistent. It's It sounds so stressful. I can't even imagine uh, what their right. spouses go through where if they had, and I understand it's, it's easy to say it, you know, it's easy to hear from the guy, you know, on the, on my truck radio right now who sits behind a desk, which is what I do. And both of you do, <laughs> but you are a trainer and I was in a truck for most, you know, most of my career. And there was a large part of that time where I had no process and did not well, I didn't even know what presenting was. And, you know, I, I look at salespeople as, as horrible, uh, horrible people. <laughs> hey man, there's that stigma. Here it goes. Yeah. But then in the, in the first, in the first year or two, when I was, when I considered myself a professional selling technician, I was interested in finding needs that I could solve for the client that they didn't know they had when they called us out. And I wanted to get better at that. I, I, tried to do it by just sheer willpower by you know knowing the right thing to say in the right moment without having any kind of process and I had that pinball um bouncing paycheck where it was like you know great this week eh, I'll get him I'll get him on the next one and then super this yeah. this paycheck and then the next one was like ah oh, don't worry baby we'll we'll get it back uh but no consistency whatsoever because it was a crapshoot as to what was going to come out of my mouth when I got to that call versus a bullet point. Here, here are the things that I always do on every call. And, and I believe here's a fact, here's a fact for you. Um, I, I did some research last year when I was putting together a PowerPoint one day and I, I'd noticed a, an article from the Harvard business review that we're talking about, uh, you know, process driven results. And they basically said that, in this article that a company that has a formal sales process can generate 18% difference in revenue growth year over year. So dude, some of these companies that are 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, 18%, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18% a lot of money, you know, or 18% a lot of money at just a million dollars. I just did so, the quick math on ours. I'm like, Oh, we better write <laughs> <laughs> up some processes. Uh, fortunately we have processes, but I, I am interested to know, and, and that's a great number that that's a great, that might even be the quote for this episode, the, uh, 18% thing, but to know if like, if you have a company with six trucks and, and you, you know, do the undercover boss thing and you get in the, the passenger seat and say, I'm rolling with you today and find out that only three of them have a process and to know that you can have an, on average, 18% income raise by giving the other three a process, that is, that is huge. I mean, an 8% revenue increase is massive for any company. Yes. 18% massive. 
um, you know, it doesn't really even matter the size, even if you're a small company, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that I, I want to point out is no stones unturned. Don't stop failing the customers. You're not just failing the company or yourself. You're failing the customer. You have to be willing to commit to a level of process so we can, if, if you do more, you're going to get more. And that's the bottom line. When you say do more, I mean, somebody could take that the wrong way, right? And, and say like, oh, you know, I, I got I to gotta talk more or I, I got to um, overdo it, I guess is what I'm getting at, right? Is there a risk there? Um, no, because the, what I'm talking about is communication. I'm talking about asking better questions. I'm talking about having the conversation. Don't, don't make your mind up for your customer. You know, I just did a sales class. Uh, last couple of days for at at, at uh, service roundtable in Copal, Texas, and that that that's one of the things that you have to, to to address to a lot of the owners and a lot of guys that have been in the industry for a long time. Get out of your own way, because you know a lot of the time, man, what what, what we continuously see, and I'll just use this as the, as the example because this is actually what happened. I had a guy that kind of, you know, started to argue a bit uh, in the class, which is completely fine. I'm open to it. But we were talking about financing and making it easy to do business with your company by offering flexibility. You know, customers like that. And he said, no way. His customer base isn't like that. Well, it turns out he isn't like that. He doesn't like financing. He doesn't like monthly payments. He doesn't like interest rates. He doesn't like credit. He, right, all these heats. Well, I think sometimes we get a little bit blindsided by the fact that stop involving your own personal opinion. You know, be open and be willing to to accept sometimes that maybe somebody likes things a little bit differently than you. Yeah, and or don't, and there's some good operators in your area who will handle that for you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> somebody, somebody will be happy to take that work. Yeah, I'm, I'm on some of these uh, Facebook groups with like, HVAC owners and plumbing owners. And it, it was recently on one of the plumbing groups where guys like, um, we don't offer financing. We're plumbers, not bankers. I'm like, well, that's great. Um, as long as you okay. want to rebuild so, Delta faucets, that's fine. But the second you're, you have a homeowner who wants to actually do some substantial business with your company and, and make some real upgrades in their home and you're not able to, to take care of them. There's a competitor that will be willing to do that. It, it Correct. It, it's a limited way of thinking, and, and it just means that there's going to be limited results, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, man, I just wanted to you know point that out, make that point. Don't, don't involve your own opinion in a lot of this stuff, especially when it comes to thriving uh, through following a process. So let's, uh, let's narrow down to the end where we talk asking for the sale, closing, uh, anything you, you want to share in those terms without, you know, giving away too many of your, your trade secrets that you, you charge ah. for. Um, yeah, man. So, you know, at the end, you know, our, the final letter in the care process is execution and, you know, connection assessment, recommendations, execution. So the E in care, um, and, and really what it, what it, what it encompasses and focuses on is, you know, is the sales process done when, when we hear yes. Uh, when, when we're a sales guy or we're a selling technician and we're in the house and we get the yes, you know, and I can even tell you, I've had guys that I've worked on, even on my teams in my past that have had the vibe and the attitude on a daily basis of, Hey man, I sold the project, dude. I did my job. 
and they want to butt out. Like, hey, man, I sold it. Baby, that's it. I'm out. I sold it. And that's really where our job starts, right? So we talked a lot about mindset at the beginning of this. We talked about the, the sales process starts when the phone rings. Okay. Well, now the installer and their mindset, it's also important because they're going in and delivering an experience to the customer as well after we leave. So their, their process starts when we hear yes. So it's time now to do everything that we're supposed to do to create clarity and create you know, the best environment for them to be successful in as well, which also helps their mindset when they show up, right, to, to, to the job to install this stuff. So how do we button up? What, what are things that we do? You know, how are we communicating with the install department? And then it goes further. How are we requesting reviews? How are we, you know, talking about the customer experience? How are we uh, creating the ultimate customer experience by means of do we send out birthday cards? Are we, you know, how are we separating ourselves and making sure that we are delivering after the sale process is, is in, in, in most people's minds completed? When we get that deposit check and, and, and we get the proposal signed, really that's where it starts. So we want to make sure in execution that we cover all bases for the install department to make sure that they can be successful too, but that we're also exposing everything that we can to ask for referrals, you know, to talk about, you know, the, 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 the networking groups that we can get out and get into and get involved with, like the Chamber of Commerce and B&I and all these types of things that, hey, do they work for everybody? Do they work in every market? You're missing the point. It's about getting out there and, and, and creating a brand for yourself. It's not about, you know, well, I've only gotten one lead in the last five weeks. Like, you know, you're, you're looking at it wrong. And that's probably why you've only gotten one lead in the last five weeks from a networking group like that. But really just committed to the end here. How do we, you know, really uh, uh, put the icing on the cake for the customer experience? And that's really kind of some of the some of the things that we cover uh, in execution. Hey, Joe, this is this has been good stuff. And we we really appreciate any guy who brings not just like great content, but also a great process, because that makes it so much easier to follow along, especially as an audio podcast. When you have like that acronym or those types of points and things, could you just recap the care process for us? The C-A-R-E real quick. Sure. Connection, assessment, recommendations, execution. The C for connection, how are we arriving? What are things that we're doing to make sure that the customer understands we're the right company? You know, we're, we're sending out the right person. We're, here's clarity on how we're going to get to the finish line, right? The assessment is how are we evaluating the customer with questions? A lot of times we think as, as, as companies that we go out to these calls and the assessment's supposed to be the measurements, you know, the, the furnace, uh, the flue pipe all the way to the Y. Or, you know, how far away is the floor drain or, you know, the plenum or, right, we miss the opportunity to evaluate the actual customer. Recommendations, how are we presenting options? There's a psychological process that we have to bring the customer through while we're presenting. If we don't, then we're going to fail. You you, you can't just uh, tug on all these heartstrings and and have all these emotions involved in a sales process and not kind of complete them when we get toward the end. So in recommendations, that's something that we go through. And then finally, the execution. How are we buttoning up? How are we communicating this job once the project is sold? How are we asking for, uh, for reviews, for referrals? What are we doing to, to, to elevate the customer experience on the backside of this thing? 
birthday cards, recording pet names in the system, uh, knowing the children's names when we show up, right? These are, are all very small things. The other, other people in the industry have said things like, hey, call your customer, bring them their favorite candy bar, whatever that is to you. Do it, right? Commit to it. Have it in your process to deliver the ultimate customer experience. And the care process allows and helps you to do that. I love it. That's great stuff. Thanks for the recap there. We're kind of going yeah. to bring things in for a landing here, Joe. And I know there's a few remaining things that you'd like to cover regarding creating that ultimate customer experience. So let, let's wrap up with those things. So, you know, uh, the care process in itself, hopefully with what some of your listeners have heard, hopefully what I've kind of described and talked about already, you know, hopefully it creates some interest and in at least, Hey, maybe we should follow a process, but, but, I don't really have any anything else that I want to touch on for process, but I do want to touch on this. At GoTime, we're real big on making sure that companies do one thing. Every time that you go to bat with your with your technicians and your training, you should be training from the four toolboxes that Ben Stark came up with. And the four toolboxes of a master tech are the tools of the trade, the industry knowledge, the communications and becoming either a mentor and or a lifelong student, which is a mindset thing, right? You have to have a certain level of passion in you to satisfy a customer over time, right? Otherwise, you get desensitized to this type of job. But those four buckets, right? Tools, knowledge, communicator, and mindset. And I want to touch on them just for a second. Every time we go to train, every time we go to deliver information to our teams, we should be picking things from these buckets. Right, we can almost associate them to, to call them business units. <laughs> we should be pulling from these business units. Right, first one's tools. Do you are you super successful in the tools that can make your job and the customer experience better? What are tools for a comfort advisor? I don't know. Tools to measure airflow. Tools to measure static pressure. How about a measuring tape? How about an iPad? Right. What whatever it is, whatever you come up with. Are we training consistently on the tools that create a better experience for our company in our, in our process, in our technicians? If not, do it because everybody should have proper knowledge and proper use and proper care of the, the, the tools of the trade, right? What, what, what are we, what, what does that apply to toward the, the many different facets or avenues of our business? The second thing is industry knowledge, right? Knowledge, having enough knowledge from the experience that we gain. You know, sometimes we, 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 we slap ourselves silly because, you know, we're in the house and, and, and all of a sudden we, we, we don't have a pen that writes or, or just something stupid. It's like we don't learn from the mistakes from the, from the previous calls. And that's not sometimes the fault of the technician. It's the fault of the leadership. The industry knowledge that I'm talking about here is things that we need to, to kind of retain in a training environment. Because sometimes we don't learn the hard way. Sometimes we have to learn the, the soft, easy, predictable way, which is the way that we arrive through, through, through training. So we should always be talking about things that are in our trainings that are, are, are things of the industry. What is some knowledge I can take away? Is it going to be airflow related? Is it going to be, you know, recall related? Is it going to be, you know, always have this kind of this, this nature to, have a forward-thinking strategy for collecting knowledge on your craft, on your your portion of the industry. The next is being an upper-level communicator. We're talking about that now. That's kind of my bucket. 
I fill this bucket all the time, right? Role playing is something that I'm huge with. And inside of communications, elevating the customer experience, it's never possible without practical application. You have to see how these guys are failing, you know, whether it's going to be in your environment or you're going to do ride-alongs with them and jump in the field with them. We have to see how the communication with the customer is so we can always continue to better that experience. The point is we're supposed to be devising training for our staff in these buckets, right? So what are we doing to, to up the up our game, up the ante in communications? And then finally, the last one in the, the four toolboxes of a master tech is mindset, right? You, you have to be uh, uh, to kind of have that always be learning uh, type mindset. You can't have the one that says, I know it all, right? You also have to have a certain level of passion to satisfy the customer. Well, what's that look like, right? It shows up in your work, right? So a lot of times we have competitions at companies where we say, all right, man, first one to sell the Ramey Halo gets XYZ. Well, what if we had a competition that was about craftsmanship? <laughs> the first one to do this and it looked this good, right? Right. right? Like, and that's the kind of challenges that, that, that we like to, to talk about and structure. But inside of being mentor and kind of lifelong student, you always have to have that nature of I'm willing to learn. I might not know it all and, and have that, that kind of that passion to satisfy the customer. So I just wanted to make sure that I touched on those because GoTime is real big on, on training into the toolboxes, making sure that in order to produce a master craftsman, ideally this is the areas of focus that you should stimulate all the time inside of your staff. Absolutely. Those are, those are uh, really four good uh, principles, tactics, and approaches to take. I love that. Go over those four one more time for us. Yes, sir. The four toolboxes of a master tech are tools, our knowledge, our communicator, and our mindset. In tools, it's tools of the trade. In knowledge, it's industry knowledge. In being an upper-level communicator, it's doing things like role-playing. Doing things like training on 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 upper upper level communication. Finally, on mindset, it's having the mindset of I can always learn just a little bit more. Yeah, that's uh that's a big emphasis of what we're about here at the Wasting Day Podcast. Always getting better and always making room for improvement. So that's good stuff. Awesome, man. Well, thanks, Joe, for being with us today. I didn't want to let you go without giving the opportunity for people to uh, find out more about what you do and how they could get more of you, more of uh, what you're talking about uh, in terms of sales and also the technical side of things. So what's GoTime all about? Yeah, uh, man, we got a bunch of stuff going on at GoTime. Number one, we got the book. It's GoTime. It's, uh, it's on Amazon and it's on our website, GoTimeSuccessGroup.com. Uh, I like to say that we have a stable uh, full of like thoroughbred style horses, right? We're all race horses. Um, I've got uh, Daryl Otto on the technical aspect. I got Charles Morales, 35 year uh, veteran trainer uh, on the technical side. Uh, Daryl does uh, bits and pieces of that build a tech class and, and also has his own install class. You got me. I do a lot of stuff with uh, sales and communication. We got Sean Henson. We got Mike Raymer. Uh, we got uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian Neff, Kirsten Weeks. Those are our Service Titan coaches. We're certified Service Titan providers. We offer, uh, you know, a lot of training inside of, of, of Service Titan as well. But uh, we have in-person classes. We do online consulting. We have the Contractor University uh, that has a lot of the interplay technology, virtual reality. 
Uh, we can do a ton of, of, of training uh, online uh, through the university that has, you know, you can wear the Oculus glasses and, you know, really it, 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 it's kind of neat. It kind of elevates that training experience for these younger technicians and almost turns it into a video game, man, kind of speaks their language. Um, but yeah, we, you know, go time is fully loaded. Uh, we seem to focus a lot on uh, the fundamentals. And I think that's a, a very important thing to mention because it's skipped by a lot of other training organizations out there, right? They all have their own methods and their ways. Where's the fundamentals at? Right. Absolutely. Wow. You got a ton of stuff going on there and some really good names and concepts. I think you're teaching about if people are interested in, in getting a, uh, on board with any of that stuff, where's the best place to sign up or enroll or how does that work? Yeah. Best place is super team. S U P E R team T E A M at, gotimesuccessgroup.com super team at gotimesuccessgroup.com shoot us an email and we are happy to respond and you know set something up maybe jump on get face to face on a zoom call or anything like that but yes sir and you're all HAC or do you have plumbing as well um as far as the technical side of, of of what we do it's mainly HVAC but let me make sure I'm very clear on this Trade doesn't matter when, you, when you're dealing with communication, right? A, a, a plumber that's going to present multiple options is going to present them the same way an HVAC guy is. It's just going to, what's going to change is the technical terms, not the delivery of how we get there. So yeah, we work with a ton of companies that are just, you know, that are, that are all over the trades. We've got spray foam contractors. We've got, uh, you know, electrical contractors. We've got window companies. We've, yeah, we, we work with a, with a ton of companies because, Typically what they're looking for is what we talked about a while ago. It's just kind of having that process and being held accountable to a standard. It's been a privilege to have you on Joe and thank you for sharing not only some of your process with us, but uh, all the opportunities that exist for improving uh, all the people in the trades and making them better overall. We really appreciate it. It was great, great talking to you and we will definitely have you on again for, for another episode. Awesome, man. Thank you guys for having me, dude. I appreciate it. You guys take care. Hey, we hope you enjoyed that podcast with Joe Pearson. I know I can always appreciate somebody who brings forth not only good content, but the structure to frame it in. It's, it's easy to follow along. It's easy to keep those, those concepts or those letters in your head and give yourself a process. Remember, it's, it's about having something in the home to fall back onto. I mean, we all know, <laughs> we all know what happens when uh, we run out of script and we're supposed to just ad lib it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but how good would it be to have something just ingrained in your mind that when you kind of lose track of what you're supposed to be saying or the conversation starts uh, feeling a little dull, you can just hop right into that next letter, that next process, that next step, and keep on rolling with something that you know is going to get you good results. I know we had good results today with Joe Person, and I really appreciated his approach. Check out GoTime. Uh, we're looking at them here, and we certainly already sent some people there. We're looking forward to potentially doing more of that, but I think they bring a lot to the table in terms of improvement and offering some really good and current content for today's trade industry. As always, we want to challenge you to be improving, whether it's through this podcast, through GoTime, or through something else that you are doing. Find a way to make yourself better, to look into the mirror and to find the next best version of yourself and go and pursue it and to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day.